Hey, this is Roberto. You're back with another Steambox podcast. Today I'm with my Steampunks from Highlander Charter School. Steampunks from Highlander, please say what's up to the world. Hello. All right. In the house, in the house, we have Nirva. Uh, Nirva is here. She is running for uh, mayor of Providence. I didn't want to butcher her name because her full name in correct pronunciation, because I hate when people call me Robert, Bob, or anything else that anglifies my name. My name is Roberto. So uh, how would I say your full name? Is that whole thing on the Providence ballot? Uh, I don't think the whole name will be, but on my, mm, you, you'll see my full name um, in many places. It might be too long for the ballot. So it might just be Nirva La Fortune, Nirva La Fortune. We knew that we were aiming for Nirva to be on the podcast. So Monday's conversation stayed around the future in education. And you guys had a lot of really good things to say about what you wanted in the future. You wanted more access to technology, not less. You wanted more mental health services in the school and more life skill services than some things that you found to be impractical, but was universally learned. So I was hearing you, go ahead. Uh, okay, so Nipa, welcome. Uh, Nirva's running for mayor of Providence. We're so excited. Already successfully ran a campaign for city council. Fabian has a question. Fabian, go. Uh, what made you like want to run? What made me want to run? So Fabian, that is a really, really good question. So I actually was undocumented um, until I was in high school. I'm an immigrant. I wasn't born in this country. I'm Haitian. I was born in Haiti. My family um, is Haitian. Um, I'm a black woman of Afro-Latina descent. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, my great grandmother, actually, my grandmother, not my great grandmother, my paternal grandmother was of Cuban descent, actually. Um, but um, running for office has never been something that I thought that I could do. Because when I was undocumented in middle school, like my daughter's in sixth grade now, and she has all these freedoms, I was undocumented when I was her age. Um, I felt like life was a bit restrictive. I was in this box and I couldn't necessarily navigate outside of this box. And so after I became a US citizen, I got my green card when I was in high school, um, right before I started high school. And then I got, I became a US citizen in my twenties. The first um, presidential election I voted in was for Barack Obama, um, which was really exciting. Um, that's when I really started getting involved in politics. Um, but even before then, I don't know, you all were, I don't even think you were born um, then. Um, you weren't born then, considering your age, you're in high school now. There was the Al Gore and Bush race and um, Al Gore lost and, and Bush won and everyone was paying attention to Florida. And I remember watching it and thinking to myself, if only I could vote. And so when Barack Obama was running, I volunteered like very little in his campaign. It was the first time I got involved. And then years later, Trump gets elected. But since then, I've already been involved in my community through PTOs. Even when I was a high school kid, I was a City Year Young Heroes um, core member where we were doing investments in our community. I've always been a part of the PTO in my um, kids' schools um, and being engaged. So civic engagement is really important. Um, but when Trump got elected, I realized it's the same people we are putting in office and our nation elected someone who has been openly racist, openly sexist, anti-Semitic, someone who didn't necessarily care about the everyday person. So 
I decided to run. And there were people in my community who were like, Nirva, you should consider running. You're very involved in the community. You care about the city of Providence. You care about the neighborhoods. You care about our kids. You should run. And I remember saying, no, I could never be, you know, an elected official. Um, but then I had to ask myself, why can't I be? And I think a lot of times when we see the people who are in these positions of power, they don't necessarily look like us. So then we condition ourselves to believe that we can't be in those positions. And so I decided that I was gonna take the leap, you know, take a chance. And the worst thing that could have happened is that I lose. Um, but we need more people who understands the lives of everyday people um, in the city of Providence. And I ran and I won. Um, and my commitment is the people of Providence, uh, the city, and just making sure that I work hard to move our city forward. You also you also touched on the importance of representation, yeah. which comes up over and over and over on the podcast. The first moment where that felt super special to me was uh, we had uh, we had an Afro Latinx uh, artist from Marvel mm -hmm. on the podcast with Highlander here. Uh, they write X Men uh, mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of books. They wrote my favorite, Miles Morales, for a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just very clear to me that the students were vibing in a different way because this was a person who had a lot of the same kind of experiences that they did. Just like a moment ago, when I walked you into the school and we met a young junior, uh, a young woman here who's a junior, and uh, she's a young black woman here, and we introduced you. And then when Mike said you were running for mayor, she definitely did a double take. She did a double take like, you're what? And I think those things are still sometimes unbelievable, not unrealistic, but in some ways sensational and weird that somebody who looks like us, somebody from my neighborhood in Washington Park, Providence, can actually be breaking through and, and making it to the city council level, making it to um, making it to potentially be the mayor of Providence. Absolutely. How many women have been mayor of Providence? Never. So Providence is one of the oldest cities in America. Um, so in its close to 400 year history, and Providence became chartered, what, in 1832, Samuel Bridgen was the first mayor of the city. So that's um, about 190 years. We have never elected a woman. We have never elected a black person to be mayor of Providence. So to elect someone who grew up in the city, who has their children, I don't, in, in my lifetime, we've never even elected a person who has their children in our public schools. So this is an opportunity for us to step away from the status quo. Because one thing I've realized is that there are a lot of times policies are created and you know something we talked about quite often when I was doing my graduate degree, because it's an urban education policy. And you have these people making these decisions or they're creating these policies, they're very cookie cutter. And these policies are supposed to be implemented everywhere. My life is not the same as someone who might live in Warren, right? Warren is a little bit more rural than, you know, Providence, the socioeconomic bracket is higher. My life might not be the same as someone who lives in the north end of Providence versus the south side of Providence. My life as a black immigrant woman um, of Afro-Latina descent might not be the same as, you know, a Caucasian woman. We need representation because we not only need people who have the experience, the professional experience. I'm a city councilwoman. I've been there for five years. I've been in higher education for close to 20 years now, you know, working with students from various backgrounds. But I have the lived experience from going through our public schools, 
from the time I came to America until I graduated from high school, my doctor's office was a community health center, you know, to surviving lead poison, um, to working full time when, while getting my college degree, raising my children and then getting my master's. Um, we need people who understand those lived experience or someone who lost a loved one to gun violence. My partner was shot and killed almost 17th July, June 15th, we'll make it 17 years. Walking out of bodega, there was a conflict between two people um, that he had nothing to do with. The conflict happened a few days before a fight and all he did was walk out of bodega and there was a, a drive-by shooting and he gets hit in the head. You know, so when I talk about these issues and I say that I'm fighting for these things, it's not because I'm, I'm giving you like lip service, it's because I've lived it. And I'm doing the work because I wanna transform my city and I wanna bring people to the table who look like me, who can be part of that transformation. I'm coming to your question next. I just wanna touch on this really quick. Uh, you mentioned lead poisoning a moment ago. Uh, our neighborhood, in Washington Park, because of the highway and the port, mm -hmm. both of those things overlapping with our neighborhood or slightly parallel to our neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, have caused uh, a national crisis, right? Like it, nationally, our neighborhood is one of the least healthy places in the nation. Uh, when it comes to asthma, the statistics are up. When it comes to some particular cancers, the statistics are up. These are the things that as a mayor, you have to turn a blind eye to. You can't. You have to, because you're gonna ruffle feathers. You're gonna piss people off. How can you address those things head on when there's so much money in keeping the problem as is? The reality is it actually costs the city more, um, more money to continue to pollute you know, these neighborhoods, because what ends up happening is that people have to go to the doctors more often. Um, they will require certain care. If they don't have insurance, who's gonna cover that? So then the hospitals are left in the hole. Uh, my, my, my family, when we moved to Washington Park, when my parents bought their house in 1990, my brother was born. My brother has suffered from respiratory challenges since he was a baby. I still remember giving him like the respiratory machine uh, and he was born in the neighborhood. So that is a priority because there's long-term impact on kids when you're sick and you have to miss out of school because you had an asthma attack or um, you have lead poison and people, that impacts your brain, right? So I always think to myself, if I didn't have lead poison, I wonder how far I would have gotten. And, um, you know, I probably would have done even much better than school, but I had to work really, really hard. But you think about the kids who might fall through the cracks because they didn't have a parent, because their parent has to work, like our parents have to work, our family member has to work more than one job. And so these, we want our future, our young people to be able to be prepared for college, to get good jobs, to reinvest in the community. But if we're not taking care of their whole being, their wellness, then that becomes a problem. So, you know, Yes, there is a lot of money invested in, but I think it benefits everyone, including the companies who are there to do these environmental mitigation to protect our city. Because if not, we're not going to have this, a city of Providence for the future. It's really easy to talk about racism, especially on a week like this, where uh, a white nationalist shot up uh, some people in Buffalo. There was a mass shooting, another mass shooting, because there are so many of them. A lot of it comes down to white nationalism. His manifesto talked about how uh, people of color are replacing. It's a, replacement it's a replacement theory, right? So it's easy to point at racism, 
But people don't understand that it goes beyond that. And there's also a such thing as environmental racism. And the reason that so many of our families are sick and those of you who grew up in the neighborhoods that we're talking about are due to the environmentally racist structures that exist and that are specifically funneled towards our neighborhoods. And by that, I don't wanna get into this very specific because I could go way long about this, but they actually, there are studies done where they show that they specifically intentionally say, no, we're not going into these white neighborhoods because the white people usually have more people on the council who are gonna fight them. The path of least resistance is through the marginalized people and those are most often people of color. So environmental racism is a big thing, uh, but I'm gonna get off my soapbox now. What's your question? My question was, Tell me your name. Gianna? You can call me Gigi. Gigi, okay. Gigi, much louder, please. Um, what's the biggest thing you've risked in or sacrificed while applying for this position? Well, running for office? Yeah. Um, a lot. You, when you run for office and you have a family, especially if you have children, everybody's running for office. Um, the microscope is on you and I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, I'm a woman of color, an immigrant. The microscope is really on me. And everything that happens in your life, you have to, every decision that you make, you have to think about how it will impact, you know, your, uh, your career, this, uh, you know, the campaign. And so you don't have as much time um, to spend with friends and family. <laughs> people get upset sometimes, but you have to ask them to give you grace. Um, there are times people get upset because you can't meet with them when they, they need you to meet with them like right away. I have to work while running for office. Most candidates who are running from there quit their jobs or they have the financial capital. I'm the only mayoral candidate who's working. I don't make six figures. I'm in education. I'm a single mom of two kids. I have a kid in college who's a rising junior. I have tuition to pay. So the average person in our city and our state could not run for office like that, like a, a large office uh, like this, because they can't give up their income. And so I'm gonna have to take some time off over the summer. That's going to hurt me financially. Um, but there's, you know, it has a lot, it, it impacts your whole life. It impacts your, um, your well-being. You have to figure out how to find time to take care of yourself. Like I run because it helps my mental state. Having this burn is an impact in me. So this morning I was like, I'm going to do some exercise. So I did a little bit of yoga, um, did some like sit-ups and, you know, like did some arm work with um, some light weights. But you have to find ways to take care of yourself. Um, you have uh, two kids? I have two. I have a soon-to-be 20-year-old, and I have a soon-to-be 12-year-old. My daughter turns 12 in June. My son will turn 20 in September. So your son, I bet your son is super supportive. Uh, where's the 12-year-old in this? Does the 12-year-old miss mama? So my daughter is very vocal. She is very direct. She has a strong sense of self. I wish I was like that when I was in middle school. And basically, she's like, Mom, I'm super excited about this. Um, I still remember I took her into City Hall a long time ago when we did a uh, when we were first elected and um, during the ceremony. Well, the second time, because I ran in a special election. And so when that term was up, that official kind of election and she walked in and she said, Mommy, 
there's no there aren't any women on the walls. Mm. So the walls of City Hall, you see all the portraits of the former mayors. And I said, one day there will be, and it's going to be me. And, um, you know, my sister's uh, a partner, my, a friend of my sister's, I remember when I was sworn in after becoming a council member, he, he said the same thing. He was like, there aren't, there aren't any women on this wall. And, and he said, never one day you're going to be on this wall. This is before I even thought about running for me. I said, get out of here. You're playing around. What I hope my daughter sees is that there's no limitations okay. in what she wants to do. Okay. And um, she can be whatever she wants. As long as she works hard, she puts her mind to it. Hendry, what's your question? Um, hi, my name is Hendry. Um, my question is, how has running inspired changed your life? Like mm. What's an inspiration or takeaway you can take away from it? It puts things into perspective. Uh, there are a lot of times that we, and even growing up on the South side um, in Washington Park, I grew up pretty sheltered. Uh, I grew up in a, a, a Pentecostal, like Christian immigrant family. We went to church a lot. Uh, my parents, I'm the oldest of five, so my parents were strict. Like I worked when I was 15, I had practice. I was a thrower in high school. I played sports, basketball, and I played soccer. I was a goalie. I was a very good goalie too. Um, Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. I played one year at goalie, but I, I mostly threw. And um, so my life was pretty uh, regimented, right? Um, when you are running for office, however, there were a lot of things I was I saw and I was exposed to. And I think when you're running for office, you get to see parts of our city or parts of Providence that you don't necessarily always see. You talk to people that you may not come across um, 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 come across in, in your regular day or your regular life, and you learn so much. And I think for me, it reminds me the why I'm running, that it's not just about Mirva, it's greater than me, it's for our city. You know, there's a young one, there's a woman, and I'm sure all of you saw it in the news. Her name was um, Sherbert Strawberry Maddox. She was murdered um, by her partner. I was filming my campaign ad, and she was on the corner of Bridgham. And I remember the team I was with, you know, they they were like, they, they came in to film, and they're like, oh, they probably thought, oh, this is a little sketchy. You know, so somebody said, it. I was like, you have to film in my neighborhood where I grew up. That was important to me. Even when I announced, I announced at the Southside Cultural Center because that's where my life in America started. My dad used to take um, English classes in the basement. I used to go with him and we didn't have a car, so we walked everywhere. So that one square mile, that's where I lived. So that's my home. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I kind of like how you bring up the fact of uh, bringing up the Southside of Washington Park. Um, yeah. I grew up around the Lower South, the West End, and that kind of area. Mm -hmm. I really what street? Um, what's it called? Around Diamond. I know exactly. So we when we first when I first joined my parents, I was on, we were on Dexter. My parents rented a room. Then we lived on Dartmouth Avenue between Broad. And <laughs> Merlene Broad. woke up. She was like, yeah. "I know that neighborhood." Where um, Bell Funeral Home is, and then in 1990 they bought their house in Burndale. That literally, we my whole life when I first came to America was like when we went from Dexter to Dartmouth. We went to the Knight Memorial Library yes. for our books. We went to the Southside Cultural um, Center. That Kentucky Fried Chicken was like my favorite place in the world. Um, but everything, yeah, the Community Health Center on Cranston Street, that's where I got my health care. 
our that was our world was in that one square mile. One of the wildest things. You know our message. Yes. Yeah, my great uncle had a tailor shop on Messon. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I got some fam stuff happening in Messon too. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> Never oh. said something that that really hit me, and it it started it it started. Part of the contrast was the pictures on the wall, mm-hmm. all men. And we talk about representation being important. And sometimes we're rolling our eyes because we don't get it right. As a man, it's hard to look at the wall and see anything wrong because that's my norm. My norm is masculinity. I see all this masculinity. What's wrong with this picture? Nothing. Right. As a man, sometimes it's hard to relate to these things and forget that other people are not represented. And she started there, but then she talked about going to other parts and other communities that might not necessarily look like her and discovering other people, right? Like, and going from going from the importance of who you represent, but also transcending that and representing all of Providence. I thought that was pretty big. I thought that was a really big point. And also like now I live on the East side. I represent Ward 3. And I still remember when I was knocking on doors, there was this one particular house that had this beautiful like mahogany door with this like gorgeous carving in it. And I'm knocking on this door and I think to myself, how am I going to represent this person? We live, like we come from different worlds. But the reality is, is that when you're there for the city of Providence and you are there to represent the city, you're going to work hard for all people and you're going to listen to all perspectives. So the one thing I was going to bring up about Sherbert, um, and tell me your name, young man. Henry. Henry? Yeah, Henry. Henry. So the woman I was talking, because I don't want to forget this because it's important because sometimes we forget people um, her name was um, Sherbert Strawberry Maddox. And I remember I said, is that your real name? She said, yes. And she was murdered. It was on the news by her partner. When I met her, I said to her, I'm going to run for mayor. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm running for mayor. She said, what? You're running for mayor? She's like, listen, you know, I've had a hard time. I'm trying to get my life together. I want to vote for you. I want to do better. I'm going to get my life together. I'm, I, I, I'm going to get my life together. because We need a woman. Oh my goodness. You look like me. You're running for office. She got so excited. And then, um, you know, like a few months later, this woman is dead. So I carry that with me because this was a woman who wanted to do something different with her life. She had a hard time, but now she wanted to get on a pathway to, you know, to, 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 to really like transforming her life. And the access to opportunities weren't there. So the work that I do in higher education, right? Whether you're a kid who is from a border town of Mexico, or you're from the South side, North end, East side of Providence, or your, your uncle is like a, a, a Royal Prince, you know, or something. I have to make sure that there are rules um, tools and resources for you in college so that you can be successful. So it's the same thing that I want to do for my city. And I, and honestly, I really appreciate that because it's like, it's not just any other person from the block. It's someone who really went through my story and really I here trying to cause a change for us. You know, looking at my siblings and looking at my younger cousins, I don't want them to grow up around an environment like that when it's all violence and chaos and there's no opportunities. I want them to have a future, to set a foundation for themselves. So it's like, I'm really glad someone who really came from the struggle understands it. They understand where we're coming from and they don't look at us crazy because we grew up around this block and uh, shooting and liquor bottles on the floor and cigarettes, right? And stuff like that. She understands that she's clarifying and trying to make the picture vivid so that people don't get that misconception of 
us being ghetto, crazy mm. and stuff like that. Right. Yes. It has been a theme of this podcast that representation is important. That has been since the start of this podcast. But also, but also, I know that she represents education, right? And uh, this story tells me that she's got her eye on the violence that's happening because when we were doing our Joyful Rebellion podcast and talking about our mental health, there was a student in this room who talked about a, a, a mass shooting in front of their home. Uh, and like a day prior to that podcast, which must have been really difficult to talk about. Um, so so I'm hoping that our candidate can do all of those things that you just said and more. I, I put you off for a long time. I'm sorry. I know you had a question loaded. Go for it. Um, my name is Jemuel. Jemuel? Beautiful yeah. name, Jemuel. Mm-hmm. My question was, what do you hope to achieve as mayor of Providence? What do I hope for to achieve? So my top priorities include education, um, accessible um, economic um, opportunities, um, public safety, making government housing, and making government work for all people. That means like just taking care of these basic things from fixing our sidewalks, making sure that our streets are clean, making investments in our environment, so that we are breathing in clean and healthy air so we stay healthy. Uh, so one big thing I wanna do is I would like to trans, um, get Providence schools back to the district, but also set the conditions at the city level so that we can better support our students, our teachers, our families. For our audience at home, mm-hmm. uh, we have people listening in Ireland, all over the place. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's wild. I don't understand why people listen to our podcast, uh, but we are always in the top three uh, worldwide. When you say take our schools back, uh, I just want to clarify that the Department of Education for the state has taken over the district in Providence because Providence, and as a partner who works with Providence schools, mm-hmm. is so dysfunctional. But the state hasn't really done much with it. What were you going to say? It's very dysfunctional. I mean, I can... I've seen teachers call students the N-word. I know I've said it before on this podcast. I've seen that. Not just once. Not just one teacher. Not just one time. Uh, And I've also seen the union defend that teacher and say, well, the teacher's off his meds that day. So despite the fact that we know that some of our teachers are harmful to our students, we're going to put Karen right back in the classroom. And I've got so many problems with that. Where the hell do you even start? Well, we need to create a path. One, we have to hold everyone teachers, administrators, the leaders, elected officials accountable. Why do we hold our students accountable more than we hold the teachers accountable? If you guys are absent for like four times in a quarter, you might fail a class, but your teacher can be absent 18 times in a quarter, 180 times in a year to some of their contracts. That's crazy. Yep. And if you're absent four times in a quarter, it's important for our schools to ask what's going on. We need to be checking in with the family and the student to make sure that they're okay because there could be like a real reason. I've talked to students who literally were going to work early in the morning or getting off an overnight shift and then running to school. I mean, when I was in high school, I worked at Rhode Island Hospital. Um, luckily, I wasn't you know, working early in the morning, but I would have to work um, at, um, in the evenings after practice and then on Saturday mornings 
I would have to start like the early shift. So I would have to be there by 6.45. That means I'm leaving my house at the crack of dawn. And in the winters, it was pitch dark. And I had to walk from, you know, my house on Burndale all the way to, um, you know, sometimes like Allen's or uh, what is it? Um, Prairie um, to take uh, the, not Prairie. Um, Eddie? Eddie Street. What am yep. I saying, Kevin? Eddie Street to, um, to go take the bus. Yeah, so, so um, I could get to the hospital. I've been there. But setting the conditions for our schools, so just going back, um, one, we have school buildings that are falling apart. I worked on the first, the first Fix Our um, School campaign to get the bonding passed. In fact, my kids are in the ad so that we could fix our school buildings. I've gone in some of my old school buildings, like Mount Pleasant High School, um, Nathaniel Green, um, even Pleasant View. My siblings, two of my sisters went to Hope High School. The theater is in disarray. They had one of the most robust arts and theater program in the country, actually. Like, like the program brought these kids to Europe, um, to the Fringe Festival back in the day. So we have to set the conditions, fixing our buildings, investing in um, in-school and after-school programs, investing in our libraries so kids have somewhere to go for um, homework help. We also have to create a pipeline. What I would like to do is create a teacher residency program to create a pipeline for teachers of color. Boston has a teacher residency program, has produced more teachers of color that work in the district and stay in the district longer term. And they have support um, there. One of the things that I, you know, I've been talking about for quite some time and um, something that we uh, evaluate, uh, looked at when I um, was the co-chair of the education committee, when there was a different leadership on council, is we went through the teacher's contract. It was right before, because they had gotten extended. And so the thing that we talked about was absenteeism um, and also around training and development, because Providence is a district where over, what, 90% of the kids are students of color and then over 85% of the teachers are white. They don't even reflect the students that they serve. No, but, yeah, but there are teachers that have done wonderful things. Like a teacher drove me to college, Ms. Bernstein. She lives on the east side. Miss um, Farrow, who's still a teacher at uh, Nathaniel Green, I was undocumented. I felt like I was living in the shadow. She's the person who really introduced me to the love of reading and writing. Um, and I found an outlet to express myself. But then, you know, you hear of stories of teachers sleeping in the classroom or stories where teachers are saying inappropriate things to kids. We have to hold them accountable. But what I hope to do is set the conditions, get our schools back, hopefully work with the state to create in our universities to create a pipeline for teachers of color. We could start with Mount Pleasant, Teacher um, Academy, working with Rick Brown and some of our other institutions, PC, so we could have more teachers of color. But we also have to invest in our students' social and emotional um, wellness. I passed legislation, a resolution calling for to take out SROs out of schools because I don't think police officers with guns should be in our school buildings. Good. And increasing social and emotional support for our kids. We need to normalize um, mental health support. Um, we have to make sure it's accessible. So what I hope to accomplish is creating stronger schools, um, creating a more accessible economy where our young entrepreneurs and people who want to start a business or have a business here can feel supported. I want to build more housing so that we have access to affordable housing. I think the medium um, house um, in the city of Providence in every neighborhood is, is over. Uh, um, you can't find anything less than 200000 regardless of where you live. So if I were to lose my house or sell my house, I can't afford to live in my own city. 
So we need more affordable housing and making government work for all people. Whether you live on the east side, the south side, the north end, government has to be transparent, open, and it has to work. When you talked about government earlier, you pointed at presidents and being energized in politics by President Barack Obama. And then you you referenced uh, President Trump briefly. Um, What's it like working on a city council where, and, and very quickly, please, because I'm running out of time. I could yeah. probably do two more questions after yeah. I'm coming to you, Kai. Uh, so um, you have a city council member, you have people on the city council who are saying, hold on, we want that statue of Christopher Columbus because I'm Italian, he's he's Italian too. Like, hey, bada bing, bada boom, we need Christopher Columbus statue here. Mm-hmm. When that clearly represents a deep-seated racism and rape of my people, and and of our people, and that's what that statue represents to us. But you are sitting on the council mm-hmm. with people who are like, who cares about that rape? We like that statue. What's that experience like working with people who don't understand your trauma? As a professional, that is something that you experience on a regular basis. Whether you're on city council or higher education, you're always going to work with people who don't who don't understand where you come from with the traumas um, that you've lived or has been um, you know, generational in your community. So in terms of like the history, what we have to do better uh, about is talking about the whole history. So if you want, if we are gonna talk about Christopher Columbus, we also have to talk about um, some of the things that Christopher Columbus did um, that hurt communities of color. You know, I'm from Haiti, you know, IET, the name IET is a Tahino word that means lands and mountains. But when you read the history, um, when he landed in, on the island of La Hispaniola, um, he completely like killed all the, like most, almost all of the indigenous people. And- um, Do you have conversations with those council members absolutely. about that? Like, how does that, how does that, what does that look like? Oh, I am very vocal about our history, um, making sure that people understand. In fact, um, something happened on council where there was another council member that, you know, made a point about Christopher Columbus and said some things that, you know, weren't necessarily his accurate, you know? And um, I stood up and I shared, you know, the history and, you know, some facts. Um, to counter that. Sometimes you don't have to always kind of like embarrass people, but it's always this, I speak the truth. And for me, we don't have to agree, but I'm always going to speak the truth. And maybe you don't understand where I'm coming from, but I am going to advocate and speak the truth. And I'm going to push for all our community, our kids to have access to ethnic studies. So if you're gonna learn about Christopher Columbus, that he discovered the, you know, America, then you have to understand, we have to also teach our kids. There were indigenous people who were there already. He didn't discover America. In fact, there were Africans who came to the United States before Christopher Columbus. There's a whole book about that. So it's all about teaching the whole history and also holding our uh, council people accountable so that they know that when we are talking about people, yes, we wanna celebrate your your community, your ancestors, but you also have to celebrate everyone else's. Okay, I can do one last mm-hmm. quick question. Who's got one last quick question? Mifta, thank you. How did you know that you wanted to do this? To run for mayor? What was the moment? What was your moment of like, oh, hell yeah, I'm running for mayor? Ooh. Running for mayor, um, even when I, um, I think when, when I announced, I, I started like 
you know, started trying to raise money and talking to people about a year ago. But I think it was in that moment when I stood at the Southside Cultural Center and all these people were there and I said it, I articulated that I'm running for mayor is when I truly accepted it. And there are moments where there's a little doubt that might creep in, might creep in. imposter syndrome is real. I suffer from it, many people suffer from it. And I have to remind myself that I'm doing this because even though I don't see anyone who looks like me in my city, you know, in this position, I can still achieve it. So, um, you know, there are a lot of times I'm still telling myself, you're doing this, Nirva, you're doing this. But, um, you know, you just got to keep moving forward. Uh, Nirva La Fortune, uh, running for mayor. I'm sorry for butchering your name every time. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm doing my best. Uh, running for mayor of Providence, Providence, Rhode Island. Rhode Island is not part of New York uh, for the rest of the world who's listening to the podcast. We are our own state in the United States. Uh, Nirva, where can people learn more about your campaign? Where should they follow you? And who do you want to give a shout out to? Um, you can go to votenirva.com, votenirva.com. You can sign up to volunteer. Uh, it's also translated in Spanish. Please tell your family, your friends that I'm running. Um, if you want to volunteer this summer and knock on doors, please sign up to do so. We need as many people as possible. And um, who do I want to give a shout out? I want to give a shout out to just all the students and everyone who's grinding and trying to complete these last few weeks of school. Um, you know, just keep your head up, you know, concentrate, you're almost there. And to all your, our, our seniors, congratulations. And regardless of what you do, um, decide to do, whether going into the workforce college or a training opportunity, I am so proud of you. And just remember that um, always um, be thoughtful about the choices that you make. Um, and that it's okay to also fall because you have many opportunities to get back up. Hell yes. This has been another podcast, Steambox Highlander. Highlander Steampunks, please say peace out to the world. Mm -hmm.